Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Hope everyone's having a wonderful day today. I'm Sam with Toyer Strategic Advisors, and welcome back to part two of the GMA series. If you're new here, make sure to subscribe to the Substack, and maybe even throw us a follow on social media. Feel free to reach out to us via the comment section or through toyerstrategic.com contact. If you have any questions about anything you want answered, drop them in the comments, and we'll take a look and potentially address them in a future episode. With that, let's get started with part two of the GMA series. Let's begin with a brief recap of part one. As a refresher, the GMA was adopted in 1990. It establishes 15 planning goals and it requires cities and counties to have land use comprehensive plans to address certain mandatory elements such as land use, housing, transportation, and more. So getting into the meat of today's episode, we're going to be talking about how counties and cities can make changes to their comprehensive plans. These amendments can be based on new information, citizen-initiated proposals, or a jurisdiction's own preferences. There are a few general requirements for comprehensive plan amendments. And remember, the comprehensive plans are unique to different jurisdictions, while the GMA is the legislation mandating the creation of these comprehensive plans. Amendments to comprehensive plans are made on an annual basis. So, how do you do it? First, a jurisdiction is encouraged to consider the cumulative impacts of all proposed comprehensive plan amendments, which supports the idea of why it should be made no more than once a year. Next, any amendments to the comprehensive plan must be consistent with the county-wide planning policies, or CPPs, multi-county planning policies, or MPPs, and the Growth Management Act as a whole. This annual comprehensive plan amendment process is often referred to as the annual docket process, and most jurisdictions have adopted procedures that help with this docketing process. They, one, establish an application deadline, two, explain what kinds of amendments can be considered, and in some cases, three, what criteria will be used to determine if an amendment should be adopted. Additionally, certain jurisdictions have two-step procedures where they take the proposed amendments through the process to determine if they should be considered any further. This first step is often referred to as setting the final docket, which essentially means finalizing what will be studied and what will be brought back for a final decision later in the process. Additionally, Comprehensive plan amendments are required to be evaluated under the State Environmental Policy Act, better known as SEPA. SEPA's evaluation will categorize the proposed amendment. As you might be able to guess, the SEPA evaluation primarily focuses on the impact to the environment that the proposed plans might have. The first category is Determination of Non-Significance, or DNS. 
This means that the proposed plan amendment does not have an impact. The next category is a mitigated determination of non-significance. What this means is that there is some impact, but the jurisdiction believes that those impacts can be handled by existing code requirements. The final SEPA option is a determination of significance, or DS. This happens when there is a probable significant impact that may or may not be able to be mitigated. A determination of a DS triggers the requirement for the EIS, or Environmental Impact Statement. If SEPA designates you as requiring an EIS, that means you're in for a long and expensive process to deeply understand the plan's impact on the environment. So, once a comprehensive plan amendment has been evaluated under SEPA, it will then be considered in a public hearing, held by the Planning Commission, who then makes a final recommendation to the City Council, in the case of a city, or the County Council or County Commission, in the case of a county, who then make a final decision. If approved, a comprehensive plan amendment can be appealed to a state-appointed Growth Management Hearings Board, an administrate appellate authority that was specifically created to hear appeals relating to challenges of whether a local action complies with the GMA. So that was a little bit on how the amendment process works, but now you might be wondering, what do the amendments look like? In general, there are two different kinds of comprehensive plan amendments. The first is text amendments. This involves amending the text of the plan, including data tables, descriptions of future land use designations and zones, and more. But those are the main ones. All of this in order to reflect new information. These are the most common amendments proposed by jurisdictions. The second type is map amendments. Map amendments change the future land use designation of one or more parcels, whose effect can result in changes to the implementing zone. These are the most common amendments proposed by citizen-initiated requests. So, to recap, here's a little mental flow chart for you guys. The amendment gets proposed, either by a citizen or a jurisdiction, and then it heads to SEPA review. Then it gets tagged, and if required, you have to go through an EIS review. Then, you have to go through the process of getting on the docket. After you get on the docket, you head to the Planning Commission hearing, and then you get a recommendation, and then it's finally evaluated by the Jurisdiction Council, either County or City Council. After the final decision, if it gets approved, there's always the option to be appealed to the Growth Management Hearings Board. So that's how the annual Comprehensive Plan Amendment process works. Why does it only happen once a year, you might be wondering? Well, that's a good question. The reason being is that changes proposed here can be fairly significant, and their cumulative impact has to be studied, like I mentioned before. So that requires a lot of work for our local jurisdictions to make sure that everything is in order when totaled up 
on a cumulative level. Now it's time for me to introduce David Toyer, president of TSA, here to provide his insight on the annual comprehensive plan review process. comes the boss. David, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sam. So, David, in this episode, we talked mostly about the annual comprehensive plan amendment process. My question for you, what kind of projects that you work on require comprehensive plan amendments to move forward? Well, we pursue comprehensive plan amendments when we have clients that need to change the land use of a piece of property they either own or they've contracted to purchase. And so really what it amounts to is you've got a piece of dirt and it might not have the zoning you want, but in order to get the zone, in order to get what we'd call a rezone, you have to change the underlying land use designation. And so land use designations are a function of mapping in a community's comprehensive plan. And so most of the time when we go for a rezone, what we're also doing is we're asking for a comprehensive plan amendment. And it's really a map-only amendment. Sometimes we might have to change minor sections of the text in the comprehensive plan. But an example would be, let's just say a community has got a 15-acre site. It's currently zoned general commercial. Uh, It's next to transit. And a developer comes in. And they want to, you know, make it a mixed use zone. But the mixed use zone is part of a different land use designation than the general commercial zone. And that often happens in communities where they have one land use designation per zone versus communities that might have one land use designation, but two or three zones within that land use designation. So in the case I was mentioning, You'd have a 15-acre site, zone general commercial. It would probably be a land use designation of general commercial or urban commercial. And what you'd need to go to is like mixed-use residential. Maybe the land use designation in that community um, is something like, you know, urban mixed use. And so you're proposing an amendment to the comprehensive plan because you're really trying to set the basis up to be able to do a concurrent rezone and make a change to the land use pattern in a particular area. And so we have to evaluate when we're doing that, whether or not it conforms, you know, with the local comprehensive plan goals, whether it makes sense from a land use consistency, like does this land use next to the land uses around it make sense? Um, And then whether or not, you know, at the end of the day, it ultimately conforms with the Growth Management Act. Huh, that's pretty interesting. It seems like there's several steps to this process. How would you say that you best help clients navigate through the process? Well, it's not an easy process. Let's start with that. Most of the time, we can address these things in annual comprehensive plan amendment processes, but not every community does an annual process. Some of them do it every other year. Um, And then when you get close to when communities have to do major updates to their comprehensive plans, they oftentimes shut the door for a while while they work on their update because they don't want to have a bunch of conflicting things going on at the same time. Our job for our clients is to take a look at what they'd like to do 
and first of all, let them know, hey, is this practical? Is it likely that what you're proposing has a chance of actually getting done? Does it comply with the local comprehensive plan? Can we demonstrate that it furthers the community's comprehensive plan goals? And can we show that it's consistent with the Growth Management Act? And once we're able to determine whether or not it's practical for the client to move forward, then really what our next part of our job is, is to help them prepare their application. And so we have to pull together, you know, not only narratives that respond to certain questions in the application. One of those questions may be how it complies with the Growth Management Act and the Local Comprehensive Plan. Um, but we also oftentimes have to generate studies and analysis that show, you know, why the change is needed, uh, what circumstances have changed that warrant, you know, something different being in that location. Um, and then really just need to, you know, pull all kind of what I would say is like the evidence together in order to be able to have a good case to take to a community and submit. And then once we submit the application, you know, we help the client go through the process and they can often be pretty lengthy processes. So you usually have some rounds of review with staff where you trade information back and forth and they ask questions. Then you go through environmental review, which is under the state environmental policy act or what we call SEPA. Um, and then a decisions issued relative to that. And then there's a whole, you know, community outreach public process part of that application where, you know, sometimes it's a community meeting before then going to planning commission and having a hearing. And then ultimately you're before a city council or a county council who's tasked with making a decision. And so all along that way, we're really responsible on behalf of our clients for providing information that not only defends the proposal and shows why it's necessary and the merits behind it, um, but really helps the community understand how this relates to their broader vision for what they want their community to be. And it's not an easy job, um, and it does take a long time, but it's one of the things that I really enjoy the most, just because you have to dig so deep sometimes when you're working on those kinds of projects. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, for a land use consultant like me, I really need to try to understand from the community's comprehensive plan and some of their other land use documents, you know, what is their vision? And then I need to translate that into how does this fit with that vision? And maybe not just complement it, but how does it help the community accelerate their path towards getting to where they want to be? I see. So you're really working for both your client and really for the interests of the community too. That's amazing. For the listeners who are on right now, what would you say is the most important thing to take away from the idea of comprehensive plan amendments? To me, the biggest takeaway is when a community adopts a comprehensive plan, it's looking at a 20-year horizon of how it's going to grow. But the annual amendment process provides an opportunity for the public, really anyone in the public, to say, wait a second, there's some new information here, or I have an idea, and bring that forward. Because as you'll see, and sometimes it's verbalized better than other times in comprehensive plans, but most all comprehensive plans 
kind of say the same thing at the very beginning, which is this is a living, breathing document that's meant to change over time as the community changes. And so that annual process is really important because it's the public's opportunity to be able to advance ideas. And, you know, growth management is really big picture stuff, but it has an impact on the small details of what happened in a community. And so it's a very interesting and fascinating process for a guy like me because, you know, the person with the idea or the innovation or the, hey, we didn't think about this. Wouldn't it be cool if our community had this going for it? All of those things oftentimes come up in those annual amendment cycles. And even if they don't pass in some of those cases during the annual cycle, they oftentimes get kind of put to the side. And then when the community comes back at the end of the 10-year period where they have to do like a major overhaul or update to their comprehensive plan, it really oftentimes serves as kind of cues along the way for the community to ask themselves those kind of bigger questions and maybe change some of the trajectory of where they thought they were going over the 20-year horizon at the 10-year mark. Got it. So it really serves as a platform for people to present their ideas for their communities. Maybe next time you think of something you'd want to see in your community, you'll maybe bring it forward to one of these hearings. Well, that's all for us today. Thanks for listening to part two of the GMA series. Make sure to double check that you're subscribed on Substack, and maybe even follow us on social media for news and updates. Stay tuned for part three of this series, which will cover GMA's mandatory periodic updates, where major changes to comprehensive plans get made. If you love the content, consider joining our paid subscriber list on Permitted with Conditions for bonus content and insights from David Toyer as he dives into his 20-plus years of experience. That's all from me today, so take care, and I'll see you next time on Permitted with Conditions. Mm-hmm.